Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. Welcome to another episode of the Owlcast. Each week, we choose a different protagonist in the story of ACS Athens as we attempt to document and understand what makes the school's life exciting and meaningful. Today, we talk with two academy teachers, members of the IB faculty, who during the pandemic lockdowns, among other projects, created a virtual club for students interested in the intersection of biosciences and psychology, a club that created a virtual escape room, which, well, I better let them explain. The club continues, of course, this year. Dr. Elina Prodromidis and Ms. Angela Hamosfagidis, one biology teacher and one psychology teacher, attempt to create bridges and intersections between their two fields. Today we discuss biopsychological synapses beyond the classroom and what that means. Focusing less on assessment and more on creativity. Learning and research on what we learn. Gaining critical thinking skills to accept knowledge but not taking it as granted. Helping students realize why they learn what they learn. Being aware of each student's needs. Offering the IB diploma as an option and not as a requirement to graduate. IB holistic learning on the way to college. Theory of knowledge, another course or shift to another mentality about learning. The I squared flex, teaching and learning hybrid model and its impact on the pandemic response. Unsure about your calling, biology or psychology? Join the club. This interview was recorded on October 11, 2022. Biopsychological synapses beyond the classroom. I suggest we deconstruct this title, which sounds quite impressive and maybe a little bit intimidating for anyone outside the biology and psychology realms. How does it relate to the activity of the classroom and beyond? Um, We were really puzzled when we were trying to find the name for our activity, to be honest. It stems very simply from the two subjects, the two IB subjects that we both teach, because we wanted this activity to bridge the two subjects and the students we both share. To us, it's not intimidating, and I don't think it's to our students, because I think it clearly represents what we did um, in this activity. And that is why I think it's one of the most successful titles and names that we could ever have thought of, and it made an impression already. So if we're trying to explain what is that we're talking about? It's about the two subjects, so biology and psychology and how those two connect. What are the connections between um, those two subjects in terms of understanding, I guess, uh, human behavior and the biology that is behind it? And if I could add, um, it goes beyond the classroom. So um, this is an activity, a club that we uh, thought of to find a way to teach students beyond the walls of our classroom. So it doesn't stay uh, within what we do in our everyday lessons, but it goes beyond that. 
because there's nothing really that combines the two sciences together. And doing that in an, in a way that is a little bit outside the ordinary, a little bit out of the expectations that the IB may have from the students, I think this is what made it unique and innovative. So it goes beyond IB. It goes beyond IB. Yes, exactly. I think we both wanted to do something that goes beyond the IB because we cherish the IB, but we wanted to our students to become involved with something that is less focused on assessment and more focused on their creative side and their role at the center of the learning. And that's what we did with the club. Yes. Exactly. We'll have the opportunity to talk about the IB in general mm -hmm. a little bit further down, but I have um, a few things that I would like to ask you. Uh, Dr. Prodromidi, you have been acknowledged with uh, numerous awards, such as the Best New Scientist Award in 2006. Right. You have been a researcher, but you also uh, an educator. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see your role in the classroom and how do you inspire students uh, to be creative at the same time as you expect them to excel academically? Wow, you go a long time uh, back. I mean, yes, I, I did receive a lot of awards in my academic career when I was doing my PhD thesis and later on when I was working in research. To me, knowledge is a twofold, I would say, way of, of learning things. One has the education, knowledge, uh, learning aspect, and the other is researching about what we learn. Therefore, I try to instill into my students the curiosity, the critical thinking, the research skills that are required to um, accept knowledge but not take it as granted. So the subject that I'm teaching as well goes very well with these skills that I'm trying to instill uh, into my students. As biology talks about life and talks about life in a scientific way, but also bring together all the real life applications that we see in our everyday life. So students, in order to excel academically, they first need to realize why they learn what they learn. Um, and to put it into the perspective of their life, of their everyday observations, and generally be able to explain them. In general, uh, research skills is a very hot topic, especially when information is out there available to everybody. Uh, and you need these skills to convert them uh, to knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you go about instilling research skills right. in your classroom, in your students, uh, both of you? Okay. Uh, I mean, apart from the research aspect that is a requirement from the IB, I think it all has to do with the kind of educator you are. I mean, one of the principles of science, of all natural sciences, even psychology as well, is to doubt, but doubt meaningfully. And when students proceed with the IB and, and they grow and develop some more critical thinking and, and mature thinking, I think in many, in many ways this comes naturally because that is um, inspired by the curriculum itself, but also by what they see and what they observe outside the classroom walls. And I think that um, how research becomes knowledge, well, research leads to knowledge. Uh, in my opinion, and by researching and proving or disproving, which is both uh, ways, knowledge is gained um, gradually and to a deeper extent 
so that they can also express this knowledge, not only in their assessments, not only um, when they go to the university, but also in, in their everyday actions and their everyday uh, way of being in the society. I think what Elena said is um, the first part is that it's part of the curriculum. So in that sense, uh, they get to engage in research practices that are needed to complete their IB diploma program. The IA, uh, the internal assessment is an experimental study, for example, for psychology. Uh, but then the other part is a way of learning, I guess. So it's not just the curriculum, it's how you approach uh, knowledge. And you made a nice distinction there between information and knowledge because information or data, let's start with data, for example, it's unstructured. So it needs to become structured to process it as information. And even then to become knowledge, you need to apply it. So what Elena was saying before about application in real life, I think this is not just in the curriculum spectrum, it goes beyond it's, it's a way to live, <laughs> a way to, uh, to kind of think about things around you and, and kind of doubt them and challenge them and become aware of them in a different way. Uh, Ms. Hemosfakidis, your academic background includes a master's degree in educational psychology uh, and your research focus on teachers' expectations for children of divorce. Mm -hmm. How often these studies come in handy in your classroom? I think my engagement with research has benefited me in so many ways in the classroom, beyond the classroom, uh, how I engage with uh, teaching uh, has all been shaped in a way by my experiences with, uh, with the research process. And uh, what you mentioned, my thesis back then was on teachers' expectations of children of divorce, which has come in hand in so many ways in the sense of qualitative research, because I was doing semi-structured interviews, but also in the sense of understanding what's happening within the classroom and the classroom processes, of being more aware of the differences between the student body and what each student brings into the classroom when they come in, uh, and how I need as an educator to be aware of that, to be able to address, I guess, their specific needs. You both are teachers of IB classes at ACS Athens. Uh, Dr. Prodromidis, you teach IB science, and Ms. Hamosfakidis, you teach IB psychology and theory of knowledge. Uh, we are a school where IB is an option and not a requirement for graduation. Uh, to your experience, what is the benefit to the student of ACS Athens attending IB courses towards the diploma or certificate? If I were to entertain the thought of benefits, I would say that it's at a higher level. Indeed, it's the 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 curriculum is for psychology. Um, it basically represents psychology 101 for college. Uh, so that's why when people do well and they get a high grade uh, for uh, psychology, they may be exempt from the uh, first psychology course in college. They learn research skills, critical thinking skills. There's a lot of emphasis on a lot of academic, I guess, skills. But also there is, a, I guess, an effort to educate the person holistically, which is also the ACS learner profile. So in, in terms of benefits, I think it's very beneficial to a certain extent. But we have to think of the student uh, in terms of where they, they are and how their needs can be met. Can they be met by a full IB diploma program, a partial IB diploma program, 
or even non-IB diploma program. So the best fit uh, exactly. model uh, applies here too. Absolutely. I, I agree with Angela. I mean, it's the same with sciences, uh, both in um, IB biology and IB environmental systems and societies. All the students usually have the option of either take the full IB diploma, usually for IB biology, it's full IB students, but for the IB environmental systems and societies, sometimes students can um, choose to take it only for one year and then go uh, to other courses to graduate. The IB is structured in a way that it has specific requirements. Um, there is a curriculum, there are uh, learning objectives, there are specific assessments. Some of them are externally assessed, some others are internally assessed. So this prepares very well the students for the university requirements. And usually students who choose to take the full IB are interested in something relating to the courses they choose. And that's why you have the high level and the standard level distinction as well. And this helps students to focus more on the high level part of the courses that they would like to uh, follow later on in their university studies or less if they choose the standard level option. But even if students choose the non-IB option, but they still stay in an IB class, they benefit a lot because uh, of all the skills that Angela said before that are uh, cultured and that are actually practiced every day in, in the class and also their holistic learning. I mean, they learn things that not only they will be asked in the university should they choose to move on to a university career or any other practical profession job they may choose to do, even if they don't really choose um, you know, a university career. So I think the IB puts into perspective um, all those skills that a, the adolescents need at this point to become also conscious citizens of the world, or regardless of their preferences in terms of the university career they will choose. I'm also interested to know the point of the theory of knowledge. Uh, to the IB student, it is another course. Mm -hmm. But is it just a course or a shift to a different mentality? Mm -hmm. It's a very special course, uh, to be honest, um, which I came to appreciate after teaching it and after uh, uh, becoming engaged with it in an extensive kind of way. Uh, it's a core course, meaning that whoever chooses to take the IB diploma program in full, they need to take uh, Theory of Knowledge, TOK, we call it for short. Um, it's, a, it's a course about knowledge itself, so how we know what we know. In that sense, it develops critical thinking skills to the max, I believe. So through classroom discussions and through activities, uh, we get to kind of dissect knowledge and kind of uh, entertain the idea that perhaps not everything out there is what we think that knowledge is. Uh, and um, usually the students that come and take TOK for the first time have never doubted before, uh, you know, knowledge in that way. So it's usually a shock <laughs> to their systems to kind of start challenging the idea that perhaps what I'm reading here is not true. Perhaps it's fake. Perhaps this website is fake. Perhaps, you know, this is not happening and kind of checking their sources and kind of going into that, uh, I guess, mentality of being a critical thinker. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens.
You have both recently co-authored the reference book with the title Revolutionizing K-12 Blended Learning Through the I-Squared Flex Classroom Model. It is a book that documents theoretically and from the practitioner's point of view the hybrid teaching and learning model of ACS Athens. Does contributing to this book change your pedagogical approach you apply in the classroom? I also authored the first version of the book and then I co-authored the second version of the book. When I was first introduced into the I-Square-Flex paradigm and how this can be applied to my classes, I found it very challenging. And I found it very challenging for the IB level, mostly, because when the first book was introduced, that was back in 2016, we were just starting having technology so much integrated into our teaching and learning. Um, although, of course, we had the Moodle, which is the platform that we're using in the school, um, I don't think we had taken advantage of all the tools and the, um, and the facilitation that it provides. So that put me, first of all, into the position of re-examining the role of Moodle as, uh, as a tool for, my, for the delivery of my lessons. And in the second book, Uh, which focuses more on the design of the Moodle shells during the COVID pandemic and the closure of the school, which proved to be um, a fantastic tool of education. And we really, I think, conquered all its tools and facilities. That uh, made me become more efficient in its use, make it more student-friendly, simplify it to an extent that uh, it would deliver still the goals of my course, but also be um, a way of not only depositing their information, but also making it a meaningful help tool for the students that I did not see in class because of the pandemic. Another thing that Iscreflex um, made me think is to differentiate my lesson plans more and to think about students who are more technology literate Uh, versus other students who prefer more traditional methods of teaching, especially when, when it goes to sciences with laboratories. That was something that the first book actually focused on. How do we use virtual labs versus the physical labs? And, you know, I made an extensive study on that. Actually, part of my action research was on that. And I was able to see that in, in many cases, um, using technology and, and blending are, are the way we teach so that one does not replace completely the other and that the teacher is there to guide, but also the students have an independence degree of their learning helps them very much. As far as, you know, contributing to the book and what does that mean for me in terms of being an educator, it means a lot. <laughs> and to be honest, this is why I do, you know, extra things because although there's very limited time, I find that, you know, by participating in such events or publications or whatever it is that our school does, benefits me as a person and as a professional. So I, I think it's worth uh, considering every time an opportunity comes along. When it comes to that particular book, um, I co-authored the chapter with Mr. Katlidou, and it wasn't really focused on I-square flex. It was more about the journey of the kids that we had here uh, every Saturday, uh, the youth to youth program, and how they came to transition into uh, learning again, 
after having gone through uh, very difficult circumstances of their journey to Greece. Technology was uh, used as part of the, uh, the learning process, and we came to realize the challenges presented uh, when, for example, there is a lack in education or there's a gap in education or there is a cultural barrier sometimes uh, when it comes to promoting education in that sense. It was very insightful and extremely significant, I think, everything that was kind of accomplished within that program. And I'm very happy to see some of those students that uh, I had for Saturdays here now, full-time students of ACS, uh, doing uh, an amazing job. You mentioned it, uh, but I want to come back to it. We went through a couple of very tough years um, through the pandemic lockdowns and the shifts to new teaching and learning paradigms. What are your takeaways, either as teachers or as individuals? I think the word that characterizes this is resilience, <laughs> which was actually a word that came up very much last year, um, which I really thought it's an important uh, word, concept, idea, that was demonstrated by all the education world, not only us as adults and professionals, but also our students, their families. I mean, this is so unusual what we've been through and education changed and will change more after this. It will be driven to a new era, I think, of uh, how learning can be done even uh, when school is inaccessible. Um, how did it change me? I think it tested me at many levels. It tested my patience. It tested my creativity. It tested me physically, uh, my eyes, my back, you know, from sitting like, um, I don't know, <laughs> more than 12 hours in front of a computer screen. Uh, it also tested my uh, way of thinking. How can I manage to also still inspire my students and still motivate them and keep them in the learning journey without giving them up? I mean, I always, I mean, every year that I have a senior class, especially, and these two years I had uh, senior classes who really suffered a lot. Um, and I will talk about the senior class because. I think this affected them in many ways, not only their entry to the university, not only their graduation ceremony, not only the motivation that a lot of the students lacked throughout this process, but also their social life. Um, it, it affected them psychologically. I don't know how we will proceed from now on. And I don't know. I mean, I think we learned a lot of lessons. And I think that uh, from now on, we will uh, see difficulties and cases like that with courage and, and resilience for sure. And I think it makes us more ready to deal with very unexpected and unprecedented events and not get carried away by how serious they may be or the effects of them. I think Alina mentioned the majority of the challenges that we all faced either as educators or as students what I'm going to add is, as an educator, I feel that there's nothing that can replace in-person contact. So one takeaway is that there's nothing that can replace that, the way I feel about it. And the second thing is, however, things that I thought would never be possible became possible through technology. And things that I thought I wouldn't be able to do, I did with my students. 
So although there is this this feeling that you know it cannot be replaced the the face to face, in terms of particularly the emotional aspect of of support, uh, there are other things that perhaps are even better now that we have the flexibility. Uh, to to use them and adapt in another way. So I'm grateful in the sense that I got to learn a lot of new things. Uh, I got to see that my students are very resilient. I'm very resilient, but I also hope that this goes away and we stay in class. If you didn't teach biosciences right. and psychology, uh, what would be your dream vocations? I would probably be uh, uh, a bookstore owner. (laughs) To be honest, I love books and I love the feel of books and getting lost into the books pages. So my ideal space would be a a store full of books with some hot coffee chocolate (laughs) to uh, invite people. Any particular focus on subjects? As weird as it sounds, I think it would be literature. <laughs> it's not sounding weird. <laughs> no, for, for me, I mean, because uh, in the sense that all my readings are relevant to the sciences, uh, but uh, when I want it, you know, kind of uh, relax and uh, I, I do literature. <laughs> so literature, book, store owner. Yes, please. That's a difficult question. Um, I've never thought of that, to be honest. But if you just ask me, I think there would be two things that I would prefer to do if I didn't do biosciences. One would be probably I would become a physician, some kind of medical doctor who would actually offer genuine help and even without getting paid. I really think that offering medical care to people who cannot pay for it is very important. Or I would write about science. I like writing very much. I like expressing through writing. Um, and I would probably, I don't know, maybe journalism for health issues, you know, something like that, um, which is the creative side of me. Maybe I don't show it very often. I don't know. You should but start. You yes, do, you maybe do. I can start doing that. <laughs> I find the time. <laughs> the time is the issue. But um, I love expressing myself through writing, um, especially when it comes to science. It comes natural for me. It comes easy to me. And, and I think I would like people to read science and understand it simply for what it is. I am a high school student mm-hmm. or even a graduate-to-be applying for college who strongly dislikes science <laughs> or my head does not wrap around any psychology-related talk. How would you convince me that either of these areas might be my true calling? You can join our club. That would be the first thing I would tell them. Absolutely. Eh? (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? What is the name of the club? So the club that we founded uh, is called the Biopsychology Synapse, where biology intersection intersection. Sorry, the bio, yes, where biology meets psychology, and um, you know the delivery product of that club last year, which we ran virtually, was an escape room that our students made and we presented to the Athens Science Festival virtually, and this is what we will be presenting in the IBIC Virtual International Conference next week. So even if you're not interested in any biology or psychology and you get allergic uh, when you hear these words, 
um, join our club because you will find another, I think, um, you will see the two scientists from another point of view. Uh, you will see the creativity behind them. You will see how they explain things that perhaps you never thought of. First of all, you will see how other students think about them. And sometimes peer inspiration is better than teacher inspiration. Apart from that, I would also uh, suggest to someone who doesn't want to do science because, you know, they think it's rocket science or I cannot make it, to try it. I think the best uh, reward for an educator is not to see an A student really score an A, but to see a D student uh, reaching his or her potential, even though they're not interested or they're not motivated at all in what they study. Uh, for me, this is what makes me a good teacher, I think. And um, when it comes to sciences, because it's a misconception that they're difficult, and I need to really emphasize on that, <laughs> science is not rocket science. If you, but the rocket science is science. Uh, yeah, well, yes, <laughs> yes, a, a part of science. Um, so I would say that um, if you just observe, if you just go out for a walk and you observe all the living species around you, from a flower to the bird that fly over your head, and think about how their body works, the simple thing. What do why do birds sing? Why do plants, um, you know, why are plants green? This is science. It's all around us. So to and answer that's the beauty of it. your question and to, based on what Elena just said, and to use some TOK, you just need to reframe. <laughs> <laughs> you need a new frame. Whenever you think of something as uh, impossible or not for me, then all the teacher, I guess, needs to do is to help the student reframe and, and see from another perspective or context. Regarding psychology? Regarding psychology, I would also invite students to join the intersection because I think that the success of the club was precisely that. It promoted the two sciences in a way that was not intimidating. It was uh, a fun kind of way to engage. They loved the escape room. They designed it themselves. We were amazed to see that under lockdown, they would spend hours, we were spending night hours with them online building the escape room, and they were so excited about it. So I think whenever you try and cultivate that creativity that is naturally kind of embedded in, in everyone, uh, particularly our kids, then you get amazing results. And when they realize that what they did is actually science, <laughs> they're super excited. So kind of try and do that. Dr. Elena Prodromidi and Ms. Angela Hamosfakidis, thank you so much. We thank you. Thank you <laughs> for having us. You are listening to the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to the Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Mm-hmm.